being able to take a risk and be honest, it makes you a more whole of a person. And that honestly doesn't even always have to be with other people. It could be just admitting to yourself that I'm afraid of this because of whatever, or I'm nervous to do this because of X. Being able to verbalize it and identify it basically is like the key to freedom. And I guess there might be a question, which is why do you think that freedom is connected to like an emotional blue ocean? And I think it's connected because for me, I see my whole life journey and a big, key in life as becoming the person that you really are and living life on your own terms and your own terms for me doesn't mean doing whatever you want to do your own terms is understanding who am I really after maybe the trauma that I face societal pressures expectations I have of myself social pressures like basically being able to remove as many of those layers as we can I don't know if we can ever remove all of them because they also make up who we are but being able to remove them to reveal the person that you really are. When I was doing my research and learning more about you online, I noticed that you called yourself 100% commercial and also 100% creative. Mm -hmm. And I thought that's an interesting way to describe yourself because most people would like to say 50-50, but you said 100% completely. So mm. I'd love to learn a bit more about like why you came up with that own description? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So I think it's been like, I think that's just how I am. And I'm, I'm, that's not the end of the answer. That's the boring <laughs> answer. But basically, like all my life, I've always felt, um, I won't say in conflict, but I've been very able to just like do loads of things. So I always give the example that for my A-levels, I studied English, maths, French and fine art. So and people were always like, OK, so what is that then? Yeah. Like, it's just a combination of random stuff. And I've always felt left and right brained and the two are equally like, I wouldn't say they're pulling against each other, but in a world where people like to put you in a bucket of either one, mm -hmm. it's always been like, so where do I actually fit? What should I be doing? Who am I? And that is probably what made me double down on emphasizing both of them, because as I've gotten older and as I've changed my career, I've seen how the two actually have really helped each other in a world where sometimes people think like, you should be one or the other, or you should focus on one or the other. I just can't, and I think it's been a strength for me. Mm -hmm. Did you ever yeah. go through that phase, though, where you did try to focus on one versus the other? Um, I think maybe at uni, because you kind of have to. So my choices for degree, when I was thinking about my degree, it was like, do I, I want to study English, and then I was like, I don't know if you can get a job if you study English. You can, but I didn't know about that at the time. Yeah. And so I studied law, but I also wanted to apply for fashion design at Central St. Martin. So it's a very, yeah, the fact that my options were like go to fashion school or like study law. Mm. I think that was probably a time where those choices had to kind of be more defined. Obviously, when you get to uni, you have a lot of experimentation and different ways to express yourself. Yeah. Um, but that was probably the only time where I had to pick and everywhere else has just been an exercise in trying to figure out, okay, so where does each of my skills manifest in this particular job? So mm -hmm. maybe even for other people, they might think, okay, well, you worked as a management consultant, like that's purely X, that's purely like commercial, that's purely um, like more corporate. To me, it wasn't in how I showed up in that job. Um, so yeah. In what sense, explain. So 
Uh, okay, so like one of the bits of feedback is so random, but one of the bits of feedback I used to get very early in my career was like, your presentations are so amazing, they're so beautiful, because I was like, I was a fine artist, right, so I'm good at making something look good. And for consultants who are always communicating ideas and trying to convince stakeholders, you have to think creatively about how you're going to present the idea, whether that's in a deck or how you're going to communicate the idea, or even how you're going to like execute the meeting, right? All of that is a creative it's almost like a, it's how you market your services, right? Yeah, because yeah. every business has competitors. It's not just about who's got the best idea or answer. It's also about how did you deliver that and did you approach it in a slightly different way of thinking that made it stand out? So I saw, I think I'm very good at understanding that two things can be true at once or accepting gray areas because maybe on paper that doesn't look very creative and maybe it's not the biggest expression of creativity. It's not someone opening like a blank canvas and painting over it, but it was definitely a very creative exercise that mm. actually helped me in my corporate job. That's interesting because most jobs, they're very prescribed in terms of how you can do your presentation, like in terms of fonts, formatting. Like I remember one senior leader that I used to work for, he he was very anal with it in a sense that like you could only use like 10 point font or no colors has to be black and white, like really, really crazy like that. Um, and I do find sometimes when you're working in corporate because of the, I guess, discipline or the rigidity, it's hard to express yourself or express your creativity without, without being seen without being seen that you're not serious, if that makes sense. Mm. Did you ever experience anything like that? I think that's a really interesting question. And I think part of the answer for me is because I am left and right brain. So I'm very anal about Excel sheets. Like everything, <laughs> I always say to people on my team, I'm like, you have to maintain the integrity of the spreadsheet in the sense of like, I like my data very clearly laid out. Um, and like in the case of like a presentation, for example, so fine, you have colors and fonts you have to work within. So yeah. maybe that's like not the biggest expression of creativity, but there's also a really powerful level of creativity that's implemented when you have boundaries. When you don't have boundaries, people think that's the most freeing thing, but it means that you don't, what are you producing that's actually advancing? And I definitely find that, and this might seem like it's unrelated, but I find that when I work with maybe people, especially maybe like more on the talent side or the very creative side that have never worked in structure, mm. is yeah, they have the freedom to do whatever, but then what is the progress that we're making towards a bigger goal is sometimes not there because of that structure. So in that context, it's like, yeah, you're given a set of guardrails and things you can't do, but there are things you can do in terms of, for example, how you would outline the services you deliver. Do you put them all in a row like this? Do you put them horizontally? How do you frame it when you talk about um, like we were taught a lot about how to communicate our ideas. So if I was giving, if I was saying to you, you know, I want to pitch you an idea for a podcast, I'm, the way that I would talk about it, I may not just give you a one-liner about what it's about. I'd maybe split it into three buckets and explain why each bucket looks a certain way and what each bucket, how that contributes to your bigger goal. So it's, it's more about that. I don't know mm. if that answers the question or even makes it a bit clearer how I, how I see things. Yeah, no, it is interesting. It's like um, structured chaos, if that makes yeah. sense. Where chaos is the design or the little bit of like pizzazz that's added onto it. But yeah, exactly. there's a method to the madness as it Exactly. Were. And I think you kind of need that in business as well, um, which in theory, I should have loads of it because of the background that I came from. But at the same time, when you're doing everything on your own, you can suddenly spiral. So actually knowing that actually having order is freeing and mm. I think that's the thing that the idea is that I think sometimes we think having boundaries is is like keeps us in but actually it gives you a set of guardrails to operate and like have success yeah basically yeah. that's interesting um because sometimes when I think of boundaries I think boundaries right so they can restrict your 
where you're thinking. So even with a, strategy, a strategic perspective, like I used to think that was amazing, that strategy. I still would think I am when it comes to like commercial things because it's like there's guardrails in terms of what you need to do. But then when it comes to myself, I'm a bit more like loose and free with it mm -hmm. because I feel sometimes if I'm too prescriptive in terms of what I want to achieve, then I might be limiting myself. So I leave this like five to ten percent of like, oh, let's see what happens. Um, but from your perspective, it's like when you are very clear and direct in terms of what you want to achieve, then you're more able to achieve it. Is that what you're yeah. saying? Yeah. Yeah. And I think like to that point around like the the boundaries that you kind of set for yourself in terms of where you go. I think it's that thing of um, there's like a phrase which is it's like be really set on the goal but flexible on how you achieve it. And I think that's kind of my vibe. Like I, I definitely have like loads of goals, but I also understand that life happens in terms of things being delayed, but also things happening quicker than you expected. So I can be very clear, but I'm not, I'm not wedded to like a structure. Yeah. As much as I use it, I'm not wedded to it. And I think that's probably the difference. Got it, got it. So whilst you're working, um, doing the management consulting, doing more strategy work, right? How did you feel personally, because coming off the back of doing those very varied A-levels, studying law, now doing um, management consulting, also doing a SEMA exam, did you feel that you were on your path? Did you feel restricted? Like what was really going through your head at that time? Um, nothing was going through my head. <laughs> um, okay, so why I even got into that career was I grew up around, I didn't even, at the time, I don't even really think that I recognised and took it in that much until you get to the end of uni and people are like, what are you going to do for your job? So that's yeah. when I had to think about it. And I was like, I just think I might want to have a business like one day. So I studied law. I didn't do anything businessy. So I'm going to go and like go to the people that tell people how to do business, which are management consultants. So yeah. I'm going to learn something about business. That was the logic. Um, because I'd grown up in an environment where there were quite a lot of entrepreneurs around me. I didn't even realise that until I made that decision that actually I'd seen loads of entrepreneurs around me or small business owners who, you know, had, had a good life. And I thought, yeah, why not? And I think I have a bit of like controlling older sibling energy. Like it sounds like being in charge is great. Like yeah. that was what the logic was there. So being in the job, um, I'm very very like focused on like excellence and like doing things really well and like just getting the best and being the best so in an environment like that um, I started my career at EY and I had a great time because of that we it was very entrepreneurial space it was all about like how good can you be so I loved it I had a great time I never felt like something was missing mm -hmm. and so people ask me that a lot they're like so how was it like now you do this like what's the tea kind of thing and I'm like I actually had a great time, like honestly, I'm so grateful to all my partners and all the directors that supported me, like I had the best time. But where the tension came was when I started my blog and mm -hmm. it was like a hobby, it wasn't any, blogging wasn't even, there wasn't even Instagram. There was Instagram, but Instagram was not a, like it was like Facebook, you talk to your friends yeah. and maybe you follow the odd fitness influencer, there was nothing else beyond it um, at that time and I started my blog and as I wanted to as I said before I want to always do things well as I started to learn okay so how do you like what do you how do you make a blog like you make a website and then you can have a mailing list and I, as I research and research and research I realized that this is called marketing mm. and I realized that I was quite passionate about it and that's when I started to find I, f I felt like I'd stumbled across the thing that allowed me to be both of those things, commercial and creative. And that's where I started to find the tension at work and feel like, actually, I think it's time to move on. Yeah. yeah. What was it about marketing that you enjoyed? 
just that, that thing, that, that feeling like I finally found something where I could be left and right brained. Because yeah. probably I didn't enjoy my degree that much. Mm -hmm. I like barely, barely got my degree. Like it was, it was a, I just didn't show up. I was doing other things at Warwick, which is why I went to uni. Like we had loads of things. Like we did fashion shows and dance. Yeah. I was doing that. I wasn't doing my degree. So I like barely got through. <laughs> and um, yeah, it just felt like, it felt like the closest feeling of diversity I had felt in my A-levels doing all those different things like you do a lot of analysis but then you can go and draw something yeah. it felt like that and I was like oh my gosh like there's a career that does that yeah great yeah so did you know exactly what your next step was going to be um I don't think so I think I just thought I need to get a job in marketing yeah. obviously I didn't I knew nothing because there's so many different types of jobs there's so many things you can do so that started that was in like maybe 2016 ish yeah. or 2015 when I started my blog in 2015, I can't remember when exactly I wanted to move, but I do remember that it took me a year to get a job. Oh, wow. So that was very tough. Yeah. Yeah, that was a very, very tough experience. So I know what it's like to feel like I need to get from here to here and it's not happening. Were you, um, were you doubting like the move you are making? Were you trying to negotiate like a different mm. move, like a smaller move? Good question. I wasn't really doubting. I was just more frustrated. Like. What, what, what is the strategy here? Like, what should I be doing? Like, why is it not clicking? That yeah. was more of it. I, I didn't think, oh, should I stop and stay with what I, I was doing? I was just trying to figure out what are my options as much as I could. Mm -hmm. And then what type of marketing did you go into with them? So do? I moved um, onto corporate marketing. So I worked at Deloitte. So I took like a half step, right? So you went to like another big four, which is still corporate world, but I became, I was in the marketing department. So I worked on their program with like C-suite execs so they had this whole thing for all board members executive and non-exec and i was like a new role they had created i got headhunted on linkedin which is also like a another social media thing so like there was a bit of marketing involved there because um, all my other efforts had like failed um and yeah so i joined the team and it was a new role and i was i was leading a team that like i had inherited um and i was kind of just trying to use the relationship skills the management consultant skills because i had to manage and structure a team and then come up with like the marketing ideas of how we would um look after this community of like execs across different industries and just that was like my first step well how was that experience it was good it was challenging that was what that was the first time i learned i experienced what it was like to inherit a team and a culture that you hadn't been part of before mm. and that had had existing relationships without you. I think that was probably the hardest thing. Um, I had spoken about that and I had advised and I'd studied it a lot as a consultant because all you do is like change management yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But I hadn't been the one on the receiving end of like, you can have all the structure, the processes, the ideas, the outlines, the decks, the roles, descriptions, but you also need to win. Like we always used to say in consulting, hearts and minds as yeah. well and how challenging that can be sometimes because people don't like change and sometimes mm. people don't understand it if they've not been kind of led on the journey of that so that was that was tough in that sense but apart from that it was great yeah. but that was probably the biggest challenge that amazing. i had amazing yeah. amazing do you remember what you did to try and win those hearts and minds uh lots of like lunch and just lunch having a chat well. yeah and talking about people's kids and mm. like being really personal and I think I'm quite I grew up like quite academic so I can be quite work focused like I'm not always going to be the person who's like so how is your dog for yeah. like five minutes beforehand I'll just get straight into it it doesn't mean that I don't care about people's stories I actually really care about people's stories it's just sometimes in work 
I just think work mm. and then personal, then there's space for that. But I don't always like mix the two. I'm quite efficient yeah. sometimes. Um, so sometimes that can get missed. Okay, well, got yeah. it, got it. So whilst this is happening, you still have your um, blog, right? Yeah. And so that's still running. Um, and from what I was seeing, you were doing a lot of like reflection on yourself mm -hmm. and going on your own personal kind of journey, mm -hmm. personal discovery. So. Could you talk to me a bit about that? Yeah, so basically I had like a spiritual awakening. It always sounds so, I'm very like touch and go about talking about like spirituality because I feel like it's one of those things that is just A, polarizing, but also B, sometimes sounds like, what are you talking about? This is based on nothing. Um, but I had a spiritual awakening and I just wrote a blog about it because I was like, I actually grew up in this religion. I grew up in Christianity, but now I'm having a spiritual awakening at like 23. 23 that doesn't make sense like how could I have been growing up in this and I wasn't someone who was like crazy devout but I also wasn't someone who rejected it a lot of sometimes kids that grow up in religious circles they just hate it I was neutral so in theory I should know everything because I wasn't resisting and I was like how can someone who was like pretty much happy to be there was always you know whatever just complied how can you how can I be discovering things 23 years later when I've always grown up like this this is nuts so I just thought, oh, like, I'm quite a problem solver. So I was just like, I'm just going to post about this. That was it. It wasn't like, I'm going to make a blog. Like I said, blogs were not. It was a thing maybe in fashion. I'd always followed fashion blogging for a long time, since like 2007. And by this point, it's 2015. Um, but I just, I just wanted to express my thoughts. Like, I don't really always do things with a goal beyond solving an immediate problem, which was I felt like if I don't know this, then other people definitely don't know this. And if this is so impactful and changing my life so much, then I would like to share it, which obviously comes with a risk because I remember thinking, this is awkward. Like, I'm not gonna post this on my Facebook. All my colleagues are listening. Mm -hmm. um, I also don't wanna offend anybody or you know alienate anybody, um, but I did. And it actually kind of led me to some of the most amazing conversations with my colleagues ever, actually, that I've ever had and friends from school that I hadn't spoken to in years and stuff like that. So I feel like I've gone on a tangent. I'm a new question was about the blog. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, basically so that, that's what the blog is about. And that's what, it doesn't exist now, but it's like evolved and like re-manifested itself because I'm just passionate about personal development in general. And I think the overlap between spirituality and personal development is really strong. Mm -hmm. It's not, spirituality is not motivational speaking, but there is, there is a relationship there. Um, and I'd always, again, this whole thing of like this drive for excellence and wanting the best out of life, I think it, it naturally predisposes you to liking stuff like motivational speakers. Like my dad used to grow up, grow up when I was growing up, my dad used to go to like Tony Robbins, is like whatever his things are, where they walk on fire, like, you know, that, that yeah. all the like rallies and stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I just thought, I'll just share it. People liked it. And what did you share? What thing. did you share in particular? Literally just like essays, like, mm. like five to 800 word essays about something I had learned in the week or in two weeks and my, just my reflections on life. So it would be a blend. It's kind of similar to the podcast that I run now. We're finally back and hopefully we will stay consistent every fortnight. But it's basically my reflections on issues that we have in life. So my, my most recent episode is about like sibling rivalry and how, what that means mm. um, and using examples from media. Kim and Courtney is an example, and like the Real Housewives, which sounds very flip frivolous because it's reality TV, but we all have relationships, familiar relationships in our life that sometimes like create conflict. And basically, how do you navigate that? What do you think about that? What does that hold up as a mirror to you as a person? And naturally, spirituality comes into that because for me anyway, like the Bible is 
a very strong reference point on ev every issue that needs to be solved. So it's like a it's like a blend, and I yeah. feel like everything in my life is like a random blend of things because now it's like this deep transformative podcast about sibling rivalry that also talks about the Real Housewives and also has a bit of like a bit of Bible in that's a bit like this is a hodgepodge of like random things but I don't know that's just been my life it's yeah. the English mass French and art again I don't know no but it's cool I think yeah. um, it's like putting colour to the stories and then adding real life examples that everybody sees but also putting yourself in there um, and even that in itself like you talked about talking about your spirituality and being worried or being concerned about being judged but you still did it anyway so there's an element of opening up and being vulnerability and being vulnerable rather yeah. have you always been easy in terms of like talking about your own business or like sharing it because that's a big scary thing to do sometimes like being open and honest yeah it's so funny that you say that because I'm probably the most private person out of all my friends like all my friends complain <laughs> I remember one of my friends said like if you had if you got married and you had three kids none of us would know kind of thing and I, I have a really close friend who's huge on vulnerability and taught me a lot about it and she was like you were the hardest person to become friends with so on one side I'm very open to talk like I guess like theoretically about stuff yeah. but if you listen to my podcast and I think this happens to me a lot people think that I'm like so open with my life but if I was to ask maybe my followers like certain questions like I don't know like what's my biggest fear who am I dating like the answer will not be there I'm just mm. a private person so I've never so to answer your question I'm very open to talk about things especially if it will help people and I'm very and going through things like therapy and growing up has made me more open but at the same time vulnerability is a journey that I'm still on I've definitely made leaps and bounds but I'm definitely not like I can talk about everything and yeah. it's, it's, yeah, it's, like no, it's not like that. <laughs> so the concert you mentioned um, called, um, uh, what's it called, Emotional Blue Ocean. Mm -hmm. Could you talk to me about that? Oh my gosh, that's like a, I don't know where you got that from. <laughs> that is like, I don't even know if I can even recall it. Like that is a deep level of research. So basically like a friend of mine, FK, who runs um, the I Said What I Said co-host, the I Said What I Said podcast, she once gave me a book or t told me about a book called Blue Ocean Strategy. I don't know if you've yeah, heard yeah, of it. Mm -hmm. So it's just the idea that in a, in a competitive world, like if you have a particular business, you have a red ocean where there's lots of like, there's sharks, there's blood in the water, that it's very um, crowded. And as a strategist, you should always be thinking about, okay, where are the blue oceans? Where are the open like gaps um, that I can leverage? And it's a business concept. But I think at the point where I was talking about, and this is a real test, because this is probably like, that must be at least five or six years old, that blog post. But I guess opening your emotional blue ocean is looking for the spaces where, I guess it's, you didn't even realize that you had the blind spots. And by stepping into that, you become a more full and whole person. So for example, because that sounds again, quite like abstract. I think an example for me is really being able to understand why, for example, in the sense where, you know, oh, well, you've always said, oh, I'm just private, I'm just private, really going back to understanding why that is and stepping into that, taking a risk in, in a safe way with, the, with people that you trust. And it opens up a whole new opportunity to become deeper friends with someone, to build intimacy, to build intimacy with yourself. And I think that's what an emotional blue ocean is. It's being able to um, take a risk and be honest. And it, it, it it makes you a more whole of a person. And that honestly doesn't even always have to be with other people. It could be just admitting to yourself that I'm afraid of this because of whatever, yeah. or I'm nervous to do this because of X. B 
being able to verbalize it and identify it basically is like the key to freedom. Mm. And I guess there might be a question which is why do you think that freedom is connected to like an emotional blue ocean? And I think it's connected because for me, I see my whole life journey and a big key in life as becoming the person that you really are and living life on your own terms. And your own terms for me doesn't mean doing whatever you want to do. Your own terms is understanding who am I really after maybe the trauma that I face, societal pressures, expectations I have of myself, social pressures, like basically being able to remove as many of those layers as we can. I don't know if we can ever remove all of them because mm -hmm. they also make up who we are, but being able to remove them to reveal the person that you really are underneath. So an example for me is like, um, you know, being, let's say, a high performer, you get good grades, you can have a corporate job, you can go and be a, be a partner and wherever. Great, you're on that track and you realise that actually I think I want to do something different. It, it's, it's emotionally mature, but also a risk to say, okay, I can follow this path, which is tried and tested and no one's ever going to judge me because it's like a good job, it's a good thing to do. But because I, I know myself, I'm going to take off this societal expectation and I'm going to do, do this other thing for myself because that's what I think myself actually needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting one because um, there's a lot of things to unwind, but I'm going to start on the end point that you just mentioned. So especially if you have so many options in front of you, like, and you're a skilled and capable person, you can get into a position where it's like an analysis paralysis, where you just don't know what to do and you end up just not doing anything. Mm -hmm. um, and especially with the example you mentioned about making to a partner. So someone who's like superbly skilled and they have the potential to make it to a partner, but then they're not sure that's what they want. They want something else, but then it may not match up with the status that a partner might give. Mm -hmm. So then it's like pairing back the ego and trying to understand why do I care about particular positions? What's more important? How I perceive myself or how, 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 other, how other people perceive me? Mm -hmm. um, and it's like the work that you said. It reminds me of a book, um, The Soul Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Ronson. And mm -hmm. the one piece of that book that always stands out to me was we all give ourselves this type of profile like, oh, you're good at this. Are you really good at this? Have you actually asked anyone else if you're good at this? Because you might actually not be that great. Mm. And because you're not allowing yourself to go out there and make mistakes because you think that you're the best and you don't want to look the best and you, and you, and you don't want to look bad at it, you're restricting your own growth from actually just pushing yourself forward. Um, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done, a lot of yeah. personal work and understanding yourself. And the work that you mentioned around understanding yourself after the trauma, after people's perceptions, after realizing the things you think you want, you don't really want. Like, where, where did someone start with that? Like, how, where did they start from understanding who they truly are? That is a great question. Um, and I would say there's a couple of things. So one of the things you mentioned was, for example, in the partner example, you said somebody doesn't know what they want to do, mm -hmm. but then you said they think they could be a partner, but they want to do something else. So that's the first thing that I, I think that people can look into, which is, on one hand, we say we don't know what we want to do, but then we have an answer mm. in that example. Like, it's like, I, I don't know what I want to do, but actually, you know that you don't want to be a partner and you want to try something else. So the first thing is, um, like, being able to truly accept and acknowledge your own thoughts. We don't do that a lot. So it happens a lot. I mean, 
think it happens a lot with women conversations, you know, oh, I don't know what I should do about this guy. And it's like, you actually do know, <laughs> but there's other, re there's other issues, well, not issues, but there's other factors that are making it hard to do, make the decision. So we, sometimes we say we don't know what, what we want to do. We do, mm. but we just don't have the tools to do it. So that then goes, so if you've identified, okay, actually, I do kind of know what I want to do, but this is holding me back. I'm afraid of X. Mm -hmm. It could be, I'm afraid of the financial risks that come with taking an alternative path. That's very valid. Like in life, when I, I don't believe in, you know, putting yourself in, making yourself desolate for risk. Like there's some risks that you should take, but it doesn't have to be extreme. Um, so if that's the fear, then, and you can name it, you can start to kind of unpack it. That's quite a practical one. So I'm gonna move on quickly from that because I think the answer to that one is really just like, how can you put yourself in a financial position to make it easier? Yeah. It doesn't say it's gonna be easier, but easy, but to make it easier. But if another one is like, oh, I'm, I'm afraid of what um, people will think about me, which is kind of always pretty much the prevailing thing for most of us. My question is to everyone is always like, do, I don't even know how to explain it, but I guess the question is really like, it's, it's random that Bob Risky is coming to my head. <laughs> Bob Risky is. <laughs> but Bob Risky once said, anybody die of insults? Nobody dies of, if you get insulted. Like, mm. If someone thinks something bad of you, are you gonna die? Mm. You're not, actually not. Like, and I know it sounds like a bit crude, but it's just that simple. And I think I always, I always think of this thing and it happened, it first happened to me when I was like 18, but I, I thought, that was a really powerful moment for me in my life. I realized because I always go back to that mentality, which is I would rather try for me and it not work out than to always wonder what if. And I think that's, that's your risk, right? Your risk is either someone want, saying, oh, look at, look at Abiola, like she failed at this. Great, they're gonna say that and then they're gonna go back to making their dinner or talking about the next celebrity or talking about someone else. Like no one really thinks about you as much as you think about you. Mm. So that's like one thing, that's like one risk. The other risk is to always, to, to never take the risk, to sit down and to watch a friend, someone from afar, do the, the thing that you were thinking of and always feel like, I wish I'd done that. And now it's too late. I mean, I don't think it's ever too late, but you will know that, you know, when you were 25, you thought you wanted to do this. When you were 31, you wanted to do this. And now you're 45 or you're 60 and you're like, the effort that it feels to start is so, it feels bigger than it is. It feels way bigger than like, it feels unachievable. And I think that feeling for me is something I don't want to feel. I don't think like, I think life is very um, short and life is very sacred and yeah, it just doesn't feel good to feel uncomfortable for a long time. I think that's it really. I'd rather be in the weeds and trying. And even if it's not working out, be trying to figure out, everything is figure outable. A, a motivational speaker, Marie Forleo, once said that she said, everything's figure outable. So you can try something, it's failing. Then the question is like, what's your plan B? It's not, you're actually not gonna die. Yeah. You're actually not for the most part, unless you try and jump off a cliff with no bungee jump, like everything else is, actually not as life-changing of a risk. The art, and I remember when I left my first job and it was like, okay, well, what if it doesn't work out? It was just, just go and get another job. Yeah. It's actually that simple. It's, Nothing's yeah. gonna happen to yeah. you. And I think when you can start to think about what's on the other side of the risk that I'm taking, then you start to realize actually, I can do this. I can, yeah. I can do this. This is not bigger than me. And I think that's kind of where you need to start. But you do need, I do have a good appetite for risk as a person. Mm. Um, but again, it's that whole thing of you've got one life and it's only you. Like, I, I always say this, you know, when you go to sleep at night, 
even if you have someone lying next to you every night, they're, they're not in your thoughts. You're the only person that has to live with the consequence of your actions. And I'd rather live with it knowing, oh, I really messed up there, I need to change it, I need to fix it, than feeling uncomfortable every day because I wasn't true to myself. It sounds so like romantic and like, oh, I'll be, just be true to yourself. But it's, it's the truth and it's how I try and live my life. Yeah, yeah. And I think it takes practice as well. Yeah, it does. It's like um, you do the reps in and then it gets easier for you to live like authentically, as yeah. it were. Um, so you mentioned about like planning and where you are, say, at 30, 35, 45, 60 and so on and so forth. So in order to plan, you need clarity. You need to have a vision, say, on your goals and what you're trying mm -hmm. to do and where you're trying to get to. So... How have you gained that clarity? Great question. Um, so you need clarity. I'm not someone who, I've never been someone who was like at 30, I'm gonna have X, Y, Z. Now, I'm not saying that other people shouldn't have those goals because I think they really help. And I think, you know, as much, like I said, I'm left and right brain. So as much as I can be structured, whatever people think of creatives as being like, ah, and a bit scatty, <laughs> there's definitely that side to me as well. So that's probably an area that I can continue to grow and improve on. Um, but for me, the way that I live my personal life, and again, all of this is all about, and I would say that this is obviously not supposed to be an advice podcast. This is about my thing about listening to people. And I listen to loads of podcasts and people's opinions. It's always about taking, basically being able to un take information and then filter through what applies to you. So you kind of have to know yourself as well. So mm -hmm. I'm not saying this as a broad brush, everybody should do this. I think the more you do your research about others and yourself, then you can marry the two together and use something that works for you. But for me, um, planning is vision-led rather than like steps, which is why I think I'm very comfortable with like be firm on the goal and very open with how you get there. Um, so my visions and ideas come from a deep sense of like my own knowing, which I don't know, you can, you can challenge me and help me make that sound. Yeah, practical. I'm going to ask you what the hell does that mean? Yeah, yeah. what is like, literally, what is that? Um, and I think, I think it's two things. So experimentation is really important. Like life, I always say life is an experiment. So if you think, okay, let's say if you think I, I would love to, um, have a fashion brand today, you have that thought in six months, you have that thought. In two years, you had that thought. That becomes a prevailing trend, or you've always been that friend that tells people what to wear, or there's always the, there's always the little breadcrumbs there's, that you have enough data to actually help you then say, okay, maybe this is on my cards mm. in some way. It may not be a fashion brand. You may end up being someone who owns a retail store, but there's something fashion there. That is enough for me personally to start the steps towards it, knowing that in the example, there's something fashion related. Okay, fine, something fashion related. Maybe I'll try having a brand try have a brand, see how that goes, what don't do you or don't you like about it, then move on to something else. So that's for me what my pictures look like, as opposed to it needs to be this. Obviously, there's things that I'd like. I'd like to have acquire this, but I don't really have a timing, obviously sooner rather than later. Mm. Everybody, that's what we all want, right? We all want the things that we're working to. Like, we don't want to wait 40 years for it, but um, it's big picture for the most part. And then I also, like I am spiritual, I do pray about it as well. And I'm like, what is the, um, I'm like, God, like, what's my direction? Because I personally also think that a lot of your true goals and visions in your life, they're not, they're conceived in you. So when I say conceived, it's like, they're like born within you as opposed to something you can download. So you can't like go out on the street and look at 10 people and think, okay, this, is, this was their plan for their life. I'm gonna just take that one. Like it's something that also takes your practice of knowing yourself, listening to yourself, joining the dots, joining the signs, 
because yeah, I do think life shows you threads mm. and because it's in us, I think it's actually in us. Um, and it's all about, are we paying enough attention to join the dots and start to build things? Usually it starts with like a seed of an idea mm -hmm. and then your life starts to build around it. So for example, even for me, when I said, oh, I think I might want to have my own business. I did not think I want to have a marketing company when I'm 30. I didn't even, at that time, like I said, I was an ignorant academic child who only knew her books. Like if someone told me about marketing, I'd be like, I don't do smart people do that. I didn't even know, you know? Yeah. So, um, but I had an abstract idea that one day I want to have a business. I did not think it would be this young. I didn't have an expectation of that. I just knew that that's a thing. Mm -hmm. So let me explore it. Let me do management consulting. Great. Okay. As this was going, other ideas and other things that I'm not, ha not doing right now that I learned when I was in corporate, like I still want to do them. So you start to build on pictures by having experiences and you can filter them through um, a similar like trends that have stayed with you for a long time. So mm. for example, by the time I stumbled on marketing, because I'd had an experience knowing that I was very, very passionate about art, the arts and creativity, I could, I could draw a dot that said, okay, actually this is, there's, there's data for this, there's backing. Like, it's not like I woke up one day and was like, oh, I want to be a, a fitness influencer. Yeah. When me and my friends used to spend our P classes hiding in the toilet cubicle, like that was just not going to be my goal, you know? So I think, yeah, really trying to look at, join the dots. And like Steve Jobs said, you can only connect the dots backwards in your life. And I think that's true. It's when you get to a certain point, then you're like, okay, what, what's happened so far? Is there anything else here that is confirming, affirming? If the answer's no, then you just keep going and you keep testing until you learn and you get an answer. Yeah, no, I love that. There's, yeah, I learned lots of different points to make. Um, what you said about life being an experiment and like you only have one life, I kind of imagine like a scientist where they're doing tests and experiments. So like they're trying to cure cancer and like with every iteration, they understand what works and what doesn't exactly. work. And like those are the kind of threads or the trends that you start to see and that you like to do. Um, but you made a point about like when you see other people that you can't take what they have, right? But then don't you think that can also inspire you? So how do you find the balance between like being inspired by what you see versus not wanting what they have, if that makes sense? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, you're, you're right. So you can definitely be inspired, um, but I think it's about that filter. And I think that's where people fall down. So you can look at what you want to do in your life um, and then, so I can look at someone, right? Let's say, I can look at a rapper. I can look at a rapper and think, I like what he's, what's going on in his life. I'm gonna be a rapper and just, and I'm gonna rap the same, I'm gonna have the same flow, I'm gonna have the same aesthetic and I'm just gonna copy it. And that may not be true to who I am. Then you can look, then you can have another approach, which is I'm looking at this rapper. What is it about him that I like? Is it the subject matter? Is it the flow? Is it his aesthetic? Is it whatever the things are? And why is it resonating with me? Okay, it's because I like, I don't know, rappers talking about how much money he's made. Maybe because it's like, I, li I like talking about how much money people are making. Then I feel, feel to do, okay, why, what about it is, is valuable to me? That's what I mean. I more mm. mean like you can't go out on the street and be like, I'm just gonna copy the exact formula. It's more about, okay, I love that. Cause we're all, we're all, a, we're all an accumulation of, yes, our own, like what we're born with, but also our experiences with each other. We all influence each other. So you definitely take it on. Like I've learned so much from all sorts of people that don't even know me, but it's then the filter through of like, what, what is it about that that I like? Why do I like it? And if, how can it be applied if at all to myself? Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes having a, 
as much as I say that there's no relation to the subjects that I kind of chose, I think when you look, when you have an approach to art, to find out that there's a lot of that. So you usually start with an idea, and this is why the exams used to be like 15, 16 hours in like A-levels and GCSEs, because you start with an idea, you get references, like a big part of creativity of all kinds as you look at the archives that someone has done and you digest and you make it your own and that's the approach and I think sometimes we're too quick to do a copy paste when we should actually be like really filtering mm. it through and it's the same with maths as well like you have a algebraic equa um, like equation and some t and part of the process of maths is like rearranging that for, to solve for different sides of the equal sign right so you're not always taking the same formula and applying it the same way you're sometimes re restructuring it bit but using the same principles yeah. Th that same thinking process is the same one or similar one that when you're when you're digesting information from other people so yeah that's a very thoughtful answer um mm -hmm. so where do you have the time to spend like say theorizing or analyzing and reflecting and the doing and the visionary like do you have a set schedule? Do you work in seasons? Like um, people talk about like the hunt and then the fast kind of thing, or like how do you kind of work your schedule as it were? Yeah, so it's very, I'm finding it very hard, mm. very hard. Um, my sisters refer to me as Dexter, like Dexter's lab, because I'm like, according to them, I'm like, there's a lot of things always happening at once. Um, and I think I've learned two things recently is routine it sounds so like because because i have my own business and entrepreneurs are always like you should have your own routine it sounds so like textbook but it's true so i try and like make sure that there's things that i can't move so um in recording my podcast and i realize we actually haven't spoken that much about like work now so i'm happy to like dive into that but um I, when i when i record my podcast it's like i tried to self-produce that at home because i could and I realized it wasn't getting done because I could. And I would prioritize everything else over it, serving my clients. But when I had a booking that I paid for, you've got to be there. <laughs> so that was a complete change. I was like, that small change. And obviously it's costing me a bit of money, but the return is worth it because now I actually have some podcast episodes versus silence for the last six months, yeah, right? Yeah. So you think you're saving money, but you're not making any progress. Um, and I do the same thing with like my Pilates classes now as well. Um, I am quite an unstructured person. I work really hard, so people think I'm very structured, but I don't have any set routines. I'm, I'm, I wish I could be in the 5 a.m. club, but I wake up when the sun rises, which in this country means that I might Anytime. as well get up at like 11 a.m. Yeah. Like at this point, it's really sad. Um, but I'm quite flexible. I just work hard and I use things like Notion. I'm like. I'm like the notion. I hate notion. Oh I my gosh. I'm, I find it so complicated sometimes. I think because it's such a blank yeah. blank canvas at first, it's like, what is this? Like I, when I first got it, mm. I didn't use it for four years. It's not that. I feel like um, I shouldn't have to work to put my notes in, if that makes sense. Fine. And I feel like, obviously, like it's always a great repository when I can go and search, but like Apple Notes, that's the one thing that has never failed me because as long as I put it down and I can find it when I need it, it's there. But yeah, notion, I need to get better, better at that one. Yeah, it's a structure, not a structure thing. I don't mm. know what it is, but like this whole idea of having a canvas and like making a presentation, I like it because I can make stuff exactly mm. how I want it. Um, but yes, yeah, so I'm big on notion. I do use my notes a lot as well, though, for like quick things. Um, so yeah, I work really hard and I use my notes. So I don't, I'm not really the most structured in terms of time. I have um, observed that I creatively need a lot more time to just like, there's a meme that goes around which, which, which says creative people need time to sit around and do nothing. 
I've definitely found that I need that. And um, not, it's, I'm not really doing nothing. I listen to like music that I really love or I, I'm reading loads of stuff online, but trying to carve out time for that. So now I try not to have meetings in the mornings on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. That's like the one bit of structure that I have. I try to do my Pilates like t two or three times a week and I have my podcast. Those are like my big anchors and mm. I have weekly meetings with clients and stuff. Everything else falls in between and it reminds me of a, I don't know if you ever heard this because I was telling one, one of my former team members this like analogy and she was like, I've never heard that. And I thought it was because she didn't know anything. And then I asked my younger sisters and they were like, we don't know it. And then I thought, oh my gosh, maybe, maybe it's because I'm old. So mm. maybe like, I don't know. I think we're like the same, same much age. Like, have you heard this analogy where people say you have a vase mm -hmm. and you have large pebbles and you have loads of different size pebbles. And if you put all the large pebbles in first, when you pour the smaller ones in, they'll all fit around it. Have you ever heard that? I think I've seen it with water. Like, I think I've seen the analogy with, with water. I think I've, I've seen it visually. There's like something, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, So that's how I try and live my life. This idea that basically, if you poured all the small pebbles in, you may not guarantee that you could get yeah, the big ones the big in. Ones, yeah. But the big ones are the most important things, right? So I'm trying to create a life where those big ones are always in, and then everything else can be chaos around it and fall in, let it fall where it may. If it gets done, it gets done. If it doesn't, it doesn't. So that's, that's what I'm trying to find as a balance, which can be hard when you're doing a lot yourself, like as a small business owner, you're trying to, yeah, have structure, but you also need to do the work. So yeah. now your time gets really squeezed and you're also trying to have a life. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah, great. So I've got more questions, but because of time. Um, I've got a couple quick fire questions. Yeah. Cool. So first one, um, a piece of advice that you wish you listened to earlier? Oh my gosh. Piece of advice that I wish I listened to, er to earlier. I don't even know if I ever got this um, early, but save your money. <laughs> and, and I'm not even a big spender, but I can spend a lot on like little things. But mm. yeah, just, just save your money and do your budget. Like do all that stuff really like when you're like 15. Okay. A piece of advice that you hear everyone giving, but you actually think it's bad advice. That is a good one. Um, a piece of advice that I think people like give a lot. One just came to me and it disappeared. Wait, let me just think. A piece of advice. I want to say something around like friends but I can't quite figure out what the advice is that people always say, but I always see things and I think, I don't, I don't know that that's... Yeah, well, I will say one about friends. So it's, it's true, but I think it's, it shouldn't be given because it can, it's, only one, it's only true on one side and there's many instances where, instances where it's not true and it's this idea that like, not all your friends are for all seasons and this, uh, yeah, or not all your friends are for all your life and friends come in seasons. I think I understand it. And I think it's true to an extent, but I think because we say that so much and we don't talk about the effort that it takes to sustain friendships in different seasons and the value of that, of longevity and being able to accept how your friendships may change in different mm -hmm. seasons, doesn't mean that you're, they're not your friend anymore. Um, I think that's really sad because I think we are losing community, our community values a lot, especially in the Western world for many reasons. And I think there's something beautiful about having friends for the long term 
Um, I, yeah, I owe a lot to my friendships and I can see, as people always say, you know, you're the sum of the five people closest to you, you know, birds of a feather, iron sharpens iron. As much as we say that, then we swap people out a lot and it's like, yeah. it doesn't really, the two things don't actually make, they don't add up. You can't say that and then say like, oh, well, people aren't here all the time because what does that, mm. how does that reflect on you and how you treat people and not just your close friends, but it reflects on how you actually treat um your like acquaintances or your casual friends as well. Yeah, yeah. good point, good point. Um, one book that has changed your perspective the most? Oh my gosh. It's now a test of like, <laughs> like even remember that half the things that I read, I feel like it's all your favorite like jumbled book. up. Um, my favorite book, I also don't read any fiction, which is probably bad. I used to, but I just, I barely read now. What is, what's been a book that I really love? A book that I've, maybe not my favourite of all time, but one that has definitely stood out to me like recently is, um, I was about to say, and then I feel like I've going to change my, my choice. That's why I'm like, do I, am I sure? Yeah, I'll stick to this one. Um, Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Mm -hmm. So it's actually, she's quite a pro prolific like writer in general, has written loads of books. And Untamed was, is one of her most recent ones, I think it came out like three years ago. And it kind of goes back to this point, especially your question around like, how do you, where do you start knowing yourself and stripping all these things away? Her whole book is about that, basically, mm -hmm. untamed, like how to, how she shifted. It's not really, it's not really a how-to book, it's her reflections on the process of becoming untamed in her own life, which obviously starts to create like pathways for you and ideas for us to apply to our own lives. Um, so yeah, I do Untamed, because I think it's a very freeing book for a lot of us, you know, we, we all carry lots of expectations mm -hmm. um, of ourselves, other people put on us, and um, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to add that to my rotation now. Yeah. But yeah, Abiola, thank you so much. Like, this has been a very enlightening conversation. Um, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me today. If people are interested to learn more about yourself, where should they go? Who should they follow? Um, you should follow me on Instagram and TikTok. My at is ABXOLA, which all my friends call me ABXOLA. Everyone like hates my <laughs> at name. I don't know why they take it so personally. Um, and then all the, all the other links flow from there because there's quite a lot of them. So yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you.